Amen. All right. Titus chapter one. Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful that we are sons and daughters adopted into your family. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Titus chapter one. We know you put it in the Bible for a reason on how the church ought to operate, to keep the church in order, to have the church operate the way you want it to be. This is not to be a religious country club. It's not to be what the pastors want it to be, what the congregation wants it to be, but Lord, what you want it to be. And so we want to be faithful to your word. Be our teacher this morning. Give us the most attentive hour of our week. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So we just finished, as you know, looking at the first and second Timothy. And in first and second Timothy, uh, it was Paul's letter to Timothy, his son in the faith. We know that in second Timothy, that was the last book that Paul wrote, the last letter that he wrote as he was nearing his death. And we saw the exhortations throughout was to preach the word and to remain faithful, even as Christians were being fed to lions and covered in pitch and set on fire and facing great persecution. He didn't tell them to hide and stay home. He told them to continue to be faithful. Now, Titus is the third of what are called the pastoral epistles. And every time I look at a pastoral epistle, there's always people like, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't need to be here. Yes, you do, because it's got applications for the whole church. And it has application of how the church ought to operate. And it has uh, the qualifications for those who lead and serve you that you should hold those people accountable to. And so there are things that we all can learn by looking at these pastoral epistles. So 1 Timothy dealt again with largely the conduct of the church. And then he dealt in, the second, in 2 Timothy with the, a lot with the false teachers church discipline, things like that. So now as we come to Titus, Titus, even though he's a pastor, he's a young man who had a relationship with Paul and he is in, we'll see in this morning's text, he's on the island of Crete. So while Timothy was in a metropolis in, in Ephesus, Paul's on an island. And this island, the Cretans, you've heard of that term, you're a Cretan, they still use that term. It's like somebody that's rough. Somebody that's difficult. Uh, they, they said to create knives was to lie. That's what they called it. So he's, he's pastoring a church in a very difficult place. And he's receiving these edifications coming from his father in the faith, if you will. The greeting of this letter, he calls Titus, my true son in our common faith. And again, it witnesses to the relationship that they had. And again, we don't know a lot about Titus as far as uh, you know, his life beforehand, we see him, uh, he's not mentioned in the book of Acts at all, but we do know that he loved the Lord and we do know they had a passion to reach people for the kingdom of God. So the fact that he was on a special assignment in a tough place like Crete speaks powerfully about Paul's regard for Titus as a competent leader and pastor. Uh, chronologically, he first met Paul in Galatians chapter 2 at a crucial moment in the early church. There was debate and tension between Paul and the believers in Jerusalem as to whether or not they would accept Paul's approach to baptizing Gentiles. And without first insisting, they become Jews. And, and, and when Paul went to Jerusalem to proclaim the truth of the grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, he took Titus with him. So Titus is a guy, and I'm, I'm giving you a little background on Titus, because we're going to spend the next month or so looking at this book. Of this letter, but Titus is a, a guy that Paul trusted. 
He was a guy that got saved real good, as my dad would say. He was a guy that could be put in the most difficult situation, and Paul knew that he would be faithful in it. Paul was certain of Titus' example as he worked. He says in Galatians 2, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, felt compelled to be circumcised. In 2 Corinthians, we can assume that from various references that Titus became Paul's most trusted troubleshooter. And again, the guy he would send into difficult situations. So we're going to see in this morning's text that Paul sent Titus on special assignment to Crete. And to bring order and direction to the churches on that island. So the churches have only existed 30 to 40 years. And in 30 to 40 years, they'd already gotten off track. And so these letters are being written to these pastors who are struggling with difficult churches on knowing and reminding them of how the church ought to function. How the church ought to operate. See, today they you have churches where nobody's saved. It's not a church. Can I get an amen to that? Where you got board members and pastors who vote on this and vote on that. And it's a nightmare. It's a mess. I used to play in church softball leagues. And the team on the other side, F-bombs and cursing and getting drunk at the game. I'm like, really? And, you know, and, and the reality is, just because you have a, a church after your name or you, you know, you're named after an apostle or something, doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's there. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that we live in a time right now where a lot of churches are so far off track. There was a group of pastors, they're not pastors, they call them that, group of pastors and bishops that all got together to pray for abortion clinics because they think it's a wonderful thing. So here's what happens when the word of God ceases to be the authority. And here's what happens. Pastor Chuck said it, I've quoted it before. He said, movements become memorials and the buildings become monuments as soon as they stop teaching the word of God without compromise. Can I get an amen to that? And that's why you have church buildings. The Episcopal church started well, anathema. Amen. Some of the Presbyterian churches that started well are so liberal now. And we can go down the list. Here's what happens. They get away from this. And guys, we don't come to church to hear a political speech. We come to church to hear the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? We don't come to church to hear someone's opinion. We come here to hear the word of God and nothing else. There's nothing better. There's nothing else. There's nothing more. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. Amen. So as he's writing this to Titus, he's exhorting him as the church is crumbling around him, as there's false teachers have crept in. And now how is Titus to respond? I promise you, when Titus opened this scroll, when this letter came and he sees the first word, we're going to look at in a minute. When he saw Paul, I guarantee you he was excited. I tried to figure out what that would be like for me. Maybe if I don't know. Pastor Chuck called me on the phone and said, Hey, I've got some direct, man, whatever I'm doing, turn everything off. I'm ready. I want to listen. I guarantee you Titus, when he got this letter was excited to receive it and ready to hear what his father in the faith, his pastor would encourage him with. So here's what we're going to see in the three chapters. First, we're going to see protection of sound doctrine. Doctrine just means truth, biblical truth. Um, how do we do that? 
We're going to see by ordaining qualified elders and by rebuking false teachers. Those are the main things. Putting people in positions of authority who really know God, who really love God, who have the heart to serve, who are humble, broken, and desperate, and are qualified based on what the Word of God says. And then secondly, to deal with false teachers. You know, this is not a popularity contest. I'm far more concerned about how I stand before God than whether or not I offend you. You know, I love you, but I'll obey God and offend you all day. Can I get an amen to that? Because the reality is that we need to speak the truth and we need to call out false teaching and we need to stand up for what's right. I wasn't going to say it, but I will. I think we as the church learned a lesson in this last election because I think too many people's focus was on our president and not enough on Jesus. That was not as loud as it could have been. Can I get an amen? Hey, we vote biblically. Can I get an amen to that? We vote pro-life. We vote right. But our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Because if your hope's in the White House, you're, you're struggling right about now. Can I get an amen? But God is in control and God is faithful. So chapter one is protection of sound doctrine. And chapters two and three is the practice of sound doctrine. Behavior that, reflect, that reflects what we believe. It's not just what we believe, it's how we behave. I said on Thursday, spiritual maturity isn't how much of the word you know, but how much of it you obey. Can I get an amen? You can know the word of God forward and backward, but as it's seen in your life, by their fruit, they shall know you. So grab your outline, and I titled the message, Getting the Church in Order. And we're only going to look at the first two points today, because when I get to 60 pages of notes, we're done. Getting the Church in Order. The protection of sound doctrine, biblical truth. First, by preaching God's word. It's not that difficult. Can I get an amen? But you know what's sad? There's a lot of churches. I, I guarantee it. If I, I gave you guys a few minutes and said, how many of you have been to churches where you went and they didn't really open up the Bible? Or they, they had sermonettes for Christianettes. Amen? Or they, you know, seven steps to financial freedom. Or they taught you how to better balance your checkbook. Or, you know, they had all this other stuff, but nothing about how to live your life as a born-again believer in Christ who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and uses the gifts God's given you and fulfills the Great Commission. Can I get an amen? And that's what God has called us to. And we need to preach the word. Preach the word. Proclaim the truth with boldness. The promise of eternal life. By the way, you know why most of the world is scared to death right now? Because they have no, they're afraid of death. And you know why they're afraid of death? They don't know what's on the other side of it. But Christians die well. We don't fear death. Heaven's better. Can I get an amen to that? We need to live with an eternal perspective, not a temporary one. If you didn't know what was behind it, you'd be walking around scared to death with the, the doors locked in your house wearing seven masks. Can I get an amen? Why? Because you're afraid. Now, I'm not saying we should be foolish, but as believers, we're not faithless. Amen? And we're not called to be fearful because heaven's better. And we're not going to live one day more or one day less than God has ordained for us. Amen? So getting the church in order, proclaim the truth, the promise of eternal life, the word of God made visible, it says through preaching. Think of that. The word of God is made visible through preaching. That's why we preach the word of God. The word of God reveals the person of Jesus Christ. Guys, again, you hear me say this often. I don't talk about God as much as I talk about Jesus because God can be Muhammad. Amen. 
God can be any God of anybody's creation. He can be the, the little fat guy at the Chinese restaurant you visit every once in a while, the statue with oranges in his lap, right? And some people think that's God. No, Jesus is God. Jesus alone is God. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Amen. And that's why we're Christians, not Godians. Can I get an amen? Because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what the word of God does? It brings the truth of who Jesus is to light. Amen. So we preach the word. Number two, by raising up godly pastors and leaders. Now, I know if you've been here for first and second Timothy, you're like, we're going to go through that again. You know what? I think God's serious about it when he tells us once. He's really serious when he tells us three times. Can I get an amen to that? If it's in the Bible again, we're going to read it again in proportion to the way that the Lord gave it to us. And then finally, next week, we'll see by silencing the false teachers because they are evident. You know, one of the Lord um, knows that the protection we need isn't just from the outside. A lot of it's from the inside. There's a lot of people calling them Christians today. You had a guy pray, I don't know where he was in Congress or somewhere, and he, he ended the prayer in amen and a woman. Okay, dude, you need to get saved, bro. You're lost. What's wrong with you? And the reality is there are people with collars and reverend in front of their name, and we confuse that being religious with being truly saved and walking with the Lord. Amen? And how do we know the difference? We read this book right here. Amen? People always ask me, what's my favorite book? I said, I got 66 of them. I love them all equally. And I don't read a whole lot of other books. Nothing wrong with reading other books. But every time I start to read another book, I'm like, I could be reading the Bible. Where is it? Amen. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let's begin there. Getting the church in order, protection of sound doctrine, biblical truth by preaching God's word. So he starts off, Paul. If you've been coming here, you already know what I'm about to tell you. When they wrote the letters then, they wrote them on scrolls. Unlike us, where we signed the letter at the bottom, they would always begin the letter at the top with who was writing it. So the person reading it wouldn't have to unroll a lengthy scroll. They could just see the name of the person that wrote the letter. So no doubt when Titus saw who had written him this letter, there was probably both excited and maybe even anxious to read what his father in the faith had taken time to write him about, again, from his prison cell. Again, Paul is still in prison. He was in prison in 1st and 2nd Timothy. It was 2nd Timothy when he uh, knew his death was coming. He wrote Titus right around the same time as 1st Timothy. So 2nd Timothy was the last thing he wrote, and this was written sooner. But again, it's a pastoral epistle. So especially in the midst of such trying and difficult times, Titus, no doubt, opens up this letter to get direction on how do I deal with it. There's a lot of pastors that feel that way right now. By the way, Rob McCoy and I were youth pastors at Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Don McClure is the pastor. Mike McClure is the pastor now. They have $1.6 million in fines from Santa Clara County because they've been having church. Pray for them. Can I get an amen to that? They're not backing down. They're going to take it to court. $1.6 million for having church. Pray for them. Amen. So there are a lot of pastors right now that when they get fined, they back up and they quit. And that's between them and the Lord. And, and wouldn't it be great if they got a letter that just said, here's what the Lord wants you to do during the pandemic. Here it is. Read it. Do it. Guess what? We've got it. First and second Timothy and Titus. Can I get an amen? We have the letter. God wrote it. Did he know the pandemic was coming? Of course he did. He's God. He's in control and he's faithful. So Paul, he reads that Paul, he could have said, Paul, 
an apostle, evangelist, a church planner, a missionary. You could have said Paul, the guy who led you to the Lord, and don't you forget it. Paul could have bragged about himself. Paul could have, you know, given a list of all of his accomplishments. But you know what? Paul's in prison. By the way, he doesn't mention he's in prison this whole letter. And he's in prison. If you were in prison, you'd be on Facebook telling all your friends to to gather up some bail. Can I get an amen? (laughs) You know, we are so focused on ourselves. And every time I read Paul, I love his humility. I love how his focus has nothing to do with him. When he's in prison, he doesn't complain about it. He, he continues to encourage others in their walk with the Lord. By the way, it's not about you. Just remember that. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Can I get an amen? Jesus, others, yourself. Amen? And that's when you'll have true joy. So how does Paul first describe himself? A bondservant of God. The word bondservant there, again, if you've been here, you've heard it. The word there is doulos. And a doulos is actually a slave. Not a title most aspire to, but one that Paul wore with honor. What he's saying is, I'm a slave of God. Now, a bondservant is a slave by choice. We've talked about this in the past, if you've been here. So here's what happens. When you owed a great debt and you couldn't pay it, you would become often a slave to the person you owed the debt to. And until you had paid the debt off or until you had been there seven years, because every seven years... They would, your jubilee, everybody, everybody would be set free. So you could work for six full years. The seventh year, you, you get to go free. Now, at that seventh year, if you've been serving with your master, your wife and your kids are there, and you feel like this is where you want to stay, a bond servant is somebody who would go to the master and say, I know my debt's paid off, but I don't want to leave. As a matter of fact, I never want to leave. I want to become a part of the family for the rest of my life. I want my wife and my children to be raised in this family. And then what would happen is they would take them into the city square and they would drive an awl through their ear and it would be nailed to the wood. And that awl and that hole in their ear was a representation that they were a slave by choice, bound by love, not by law. Amen. And so we are called to be bond servants of Jesus Christ. Amen. And do we follow Jesus because uh, he'll give us a bunch of money? Some people do. That's the wrong reason. Can I get an amen? Creflo Dollar. How's his name Dollar? But here's the reality. You got people that go to churches where the word of God is not emphasized. They make God a holy Santa Claus in the sky. Guys, we're called to be servants, slaves of Jesus Christ. Guys, he hung on a cross for us. We need to live our lives for him. Amen. We're called to be bond servants, and I love, and the word really is bond slave, term for one who was bound to his master by choice. And again, a doulos was a slave for life. Why would they stay? Because they love their master. Why do we follow Jesus with all we have? Because we love our Savior. Can I get an amen to that? Man, I just love Jesus so much I can hardly stand it. Sometimes I'm driving down the freeway and I think about his love for me and how much I love him. I start weeping. Can, can we get to see him face to face, you guys? The person you wanted in the White House may not be there, but the one who we want on the throne will never leave. And they can't vote him out of office. Can we get an amen to that? Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. This should be the heart of everyone who calls himself Christian. And again, I've met 
one who is, re- uh, you know, one who has redeemed me. He set me free from sin and death. I've chosen to follow him completely, to be his willing, lifelong servant, not because I have to, because I want to. I love my master and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. The Bible says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. It's hard to deny ourselves. My three favorite people are me, myself, and I. We all fall into that trap, amen? And the reality is dying to self. It's not about you. When my phone rings at 2.30 in the morning, pick it up. When someone needs to be ministered to, go do it. This week, it's totally the Lord. It's a get you, not a have to. I had four different people I've never met in my life that I spent a couple hours each with them on the phone to minister to them. And it's a get you, not a have to. Because it's not about me. It's about ministering to people. Can I get an amen to that? Ministry is about people. I meet pastors who say ministry would be great except for the people. And I know pastors who just study, you know, come out of the green room, teach, go back in the green room, and people go to their church for 20 years and never, never ex- exchange a conversation with them. I would say that person's not really a pastor and doesn't have a pastor's heart. Can I get an amen? We're called to be servants. Then he says this. I'm not contradicting myself, but he does say, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. Now, why does he say this? He's writing a letter to a friend. And I believe it's very clear. He introduces himself as an apostle because this is not just a letter from one friend to another. This is the word of God being delivered to Titus that will apply not just to Titus, but to everyone else, including Calvary Chapel, Calabasas, 2000 years later. Amen. And so he's an apostle. Speaks not of it, doesn't speak of his worldly accomplishments, but his heavenly calling and his God-given authority. The letter written not just from, again, one friend to another, not just a list of helpful suggestions in hurtful times, but the word of God given through his called and anointed servant, the word for Titus, and again, the word for you and I today. An apostle, one sent out on a mission by God, one sent by the Lord, one called by God. It says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. According to the faith of God's elect would be better translated for the furtherance of the faith of God's elect. Paul was both a willing slave and an apostle with a heavenly authority and calling to reach the lost with the truth of the gospel and to help develop and deepen the faith of those who already believe. Here's why the church exists. We exist first, primarily to disciple Christians to help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. We come here to know him better is to love him more. And every week we should learn more about our savior and we should leave here more in love with him than the way that we came. And we also exist to fulfill the great commission, which is to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we exist to see the lost saved and the saved growing, amen? That's the function of the church, to use our gifts. That's how that happens. You use gifts. You have gifts I don't have. You minister to me. I may have a gift you don't have. I minister to you. That's why the body of Christ gathers together. We understand there's some people that are watching on live stream because they need to. But guess what? That's not the long-term answer. Can I get an amen? We need to be in fellowship with other believers. So the fruit of deepening faith. What is it? It says there to... The acknowledgement of the truth, 
which accords with godliness, the deep knowledge of the truth, a belief that impacts our behavior. And again, spiritual maturity is not based on how much of God's word we know, but how much of God's word we obey. Guys, here's the definition of a hypocrite. Someone who says one thing and does another. Someone who says, I am this person and then lives just the opposite. And as some Christians, it's, it, for some people, you come to church on Sunday for an hour and a half, uh, you know, because that's maybe the right thing to do. But then you go out and live your life and there's no reflection that you've ever given your life to the Lord or that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. See, the real fruit of having believed and accepted the truth of the gospel is living a godly life. Christianity is more than head knowledge. It's heart transformation. Having become new creations in him, everything about us should be radically different. Our passions, our priorities, the source of our hope. Why aren't we afraid? Because God's in control. Why aren't we afraid? Because I'm going to close my eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Why am I not afraid? We're indestructible until God's through with us. Why are we not afraid? Because we've read the end of the book and God wins. Can I get an amen? amen? And so we don't walk in fear. We walk in faith because we know the Lord. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and it should, should affect the behavior that comes out of us. Holy Spirit loves you enough to convict you when you're wrong, to comfort you when you're hurting, and to give you direction as you live your daily life. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul's calling as an apostle, his heart as a bondservant, was to reach the lost, to help deepen the faith of those who believe by instructing them in the truth in how to live godly lives. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. To communicate the hope of eternal life. Now, it's first important that you know the word hope there doesn't, you know, people say, I hope. When I meet people and I talk to them about the Lord, I'll say to them often, are you going to heaven? And the number one answer I get is, I hope so. And if you only hope so, you don't know Jesus. Can I get an amen? We don't hope so, we know so. Can I get an amen? We know. It's a promise. And you know what it means in Greek? It's not a wish. It means to anticipate with pleasure. It's the hope of heaven. We anticipate it with pleasure. By the way, we are going, I, I say it often, but we're going to get to heaven and be blown away. Amen? No matter how great you think heaven is going to be, it is going to be far greater. Our minds cannot comprehend. There's no time. There's no space. We're outside. I mean, the, the eternity. We're going to be there 500 billion years, and we're still going to be there, and still going to be there, and still going to be there. Can I get an Amen. But beyond the streets of gold, which where gold is asphalt, I don't think we're going to notice, or the crystal sea, or, you know, even being reunited with those that we love, that will be amazing. There's nothing going to be more amazing than seeing our Savior face to face. Amen? Nothing more amazing than that. It's the best 401k going. Can I get an amen? As believers, we can have a steadfast confidence that we will live forever in the presence of Almighty God. The word hope there again means to anticipate with pleasure, to expect with confidence. So we anticipate heaven with pleasure and we expect it with confidence. And again, even more, we must know that we have it even now. Guys, eternal life doesn't start when you die. As soon as you gave your life to Jesus, you became a new creation in Christ. 
The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. You've been born again. You were born physically. You've been born from above. The Holy Spirit has lived inside of you. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's written, and again, he, will, he has made a promise to you that when you die, you will be with him in heaven. And you won't really die. You'll just close your eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? How sure is our hope? There's a confident expectation. It's a key to any promise is the reliability of the one who made it. Some of you have people that you know that have made promises to you. And as soon as they make it, you're like, oh yeah, right, okay. Anybody got people that they don't like that besides me? You meet them like, yeah, I promise. Yeah, I heard that 500 times. So wait for you to fulfill the first promise five years ago. Guess what? And politicians make promises. Just keep that in mind. But here's the reality. You know who makes promises and never breaks them? Who is it? God, Jesus. Amen. Look what it says. The hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God, who cannot lie. Do you know there's things God cannot do? He cannot lie. Can I get an amen? He cannot and will not change his mind. You know why? Because he already knows everything. You know who changes their mind? People that are wrong. God's never wrong. Can I get an amen to that? So when God makes a promise, it's done. And he promised before he created the universe. He knew that you would be born, that I would be born. He knew that we would be sinners. He knew that his son would have to come and suffer and die. He knew that he would take all the sin upon himself. He was lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew it all ahead of time. And he promised that there would be hope of heaven through the shed blood of his son on the cross of Calvary. He promised us that when we were born again, that we were citizens of heaven and no longer citizens of the earth. And praise God for that. Amen. And so we don't hope so. We know so because God said so. Amen. And he's a faithful God and we can trust his word. I love it. God is so gracious. By the way, he is the truth. That's why he cannot lie. Can I get an amen to that? He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to father but by him. We're going to heaven, by the way, not because you're good, not because I'm good, or because I had a warming in my bosom or some kind of emotional experience, but because God said so. Amen? You know, as parents, we'll do that sometimes. You tell your kids something five times. Why? Why? Because I said so. Here's the good news. You're going to heaven. You know why? Because God said so. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're going to heaven. Again, I can't wait. He promised it before time began. Does that give you a headache? There was... Where, what was there before there was time? Do you know that God's outside of time and space? So what is there when there's no space? I have no idea. Can I get an amen? I can get rich up here with his two dogs. He doesn't even, we don't know. Amen. He's way smarter than me. He, he forgets more than I know. But here's the reality. We can have the, the greatest brains in the world. Our God is greater. Can I get an Amen. There was no time and no space when he knew that he was going to create time and space and put us in it. And I just get a headache. Here's what happens. It makes me recognize I'm finite man. He's infinite God and he's way greater than I can even understand. Amen. That's the God we serve. And when you start to lose hope, when you start to get discouraged, our world's a mess. But you know what? It's always been a mess because it's always been sinful since Adam and Eve. Can I get an amen to that? 
It's always needed the Lord. Our hope is not in legislating morality. Our hope is people getting saved, becoming new creations in Christ, and the world being transformed through revival. Can I get an amen? And guys, that's what we need. And we need to focus on the Lord and focus on Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. He promised before time began, before man existed. Again, he's all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. He knew we would sin, that we would be separated from him, that his son would come, and he created us anyway. He knew what a a wicked, vile sinner you and I were both going to be, and he created us anyway. Because he knew that his son would redeem us. Not only did Jesus save us today and empower us to live godly before him, but he's given us the promise and the hope of eternal life. Verse 3. But he has in due time manifested his word through what? What does that say? Preaching. Really? It's interesting. I meet friends and they'll tell me, yeah, our church, we were so in the spirit and we were so, we all just were rolling in the floor and we just never got around to getting into the Bible because we were just so slain in the spirit. <laughs> if your church has a drunk tank, you need to find another church. Can I get an amen? If your church got people rolling around on the floor, look, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be quiet about worship. Amen. But everything's done decently and in order. Can I get an amen to that? We are, the focus is on Jesus. We're praising his name. Amen. He's the one who's glorified. He's the focus. You know what happens when people are rolling in the floor and doing jumping jacks in the front and waving flags? The focus is on men and when it needs to be on Jesus. Can I get an amen? And so the whole focus of worship is the Lord. It's not us. So the word of God is not manifest through feelings. Oh, I just had this feeling. I walked in and there was this feeling. What did the Bible say? I don't care what you feel. You might have had a taco this morning. That might be the problem. Amen. You know, the Mormons say that they believe the book of Mormon is true because they had a burning in their bosom. I don't need any burnings in my bosom. I have the truth of God's word. Can I get an amen? And the empowering and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life. We love the Mormons, by the way. We want to see them saved. Amen. We love all people, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But guys, our hope, it comes to the manifestation of God's word. The word manifest there, to make visible that which had been hidden or unknown. The hope of eternal life was made possible through the shed blood of the, and the, of the divine expression of the word, Jesus, the word. So you make manifest the word by preaching the word. And when we preach the word, we get to know the word, Jesus Christ, better. Amen. I have pastor friends that say, you Calvary Chapel guys act like the Bible is the fourth part of the Trinity. I said, no, it's the second part because Jesus is the word. Can I get an amen? (laughs) To make visible that which was unknown. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And later in that chapter says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's is made known by the bold preaching or heralding of his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Manifested through preaching. People don't want, people are changing the names of churches so they don't sound like churches anymore. What's the name of your church? It's called the light or it's called the atmosphere. Or it's called the whatever. 
And the Baptist churches are taking the name off and a lot of Calvary chapels are changing their name because we don't want to sound too churchy. Guess what? I want us to sound as churchy as we can get. Can I get an amen to that? Because we're not coming here to meet your felt needs and we're not coming here to put on a rock show. We're not coming here for this, for you to be entertained and blow smoke at you and tell you how amazing you are. We're coming here to worship Jesus Christ. Amen. To study his word, to preach it with boldness, to know what the word of God says. I pray that every week you're here, you're convicted because I'm convicted every week when I study to, tell, to share it with you. Amen. Because conviction changes us. We live in a world today that they're watering down the message. We heard a few weeks ago, Harold, a Harold was somebody who took the message from the, from the king and he went out and repeated it without changing one word. He just repeated it and he spoke it with boldness. He goes stand on a street corner and just proclaim the message that was given to him by the king. And you know what a pastor should do? Proclaim the message that was given to him by the king. Can I get an amen? And not, not what, what, you know, I, I saw this movie this week and let me give you an illustration. Who cares? Don't care what movie you saw. I'm not interested. I could care less. Don't care. Don't care. I read this book this week and here's our new vision for the church. People say to me, why is your, does your vision change? No, the vision doesn't change because the Bible doesn't change. Amen. We're just going to keep doing what we've always done. Amen. Nothing so tragic as having the truth, the one who redeemed and saved us and then keeping it to ourselves. And no, no one's more accountable. Look, I have a heart for pastors and and in Santa Cruz, especially, I was a pastor to the other pastors in town. And I would exhort these guys. And here's what I would tell them. Teach the Bible. Here's what they would say. Oh, my people won't put up with that. My people don't want that. I said, because your people aren't saved. So you need to teach them the Bible. Can I get an amen? Well, I, you know, I'm doing this series on the roller coaster ride of life. And then I'm doing the missing puzzle piece series. And I'm doing the... Stop it. It breaks the heart, the Lord's heart. Can I get an amen? Notice what it's, what does it say there? Manifested his word through potlucks. No, preaching. <laughs> amen. The proclaiming of God's word. Guys, preaching is not a bad word. People say, I don't, I don't consider myself a, piece, a, a preacher. I'm a, I'm a teacher. No, we, we preach. We proclaim the truth. We have the answer that a lost world needs to hear and is looking for in the wrong places. Talked to a couple people this week, um, sent by people from our church to call me and got, was blessed to talk to both of them, struggling with drugs and alcohol. And just letting them know, bro, you know what you need? You need Jesus. Amen? You need Jesus. He's the answer. He can get you through this. He's the hope that lies within us. What the world needs is the Lord. Getting the church in order. Back to the reason it existed. We exist to know him and to make him known. It begins with the preaching of God's word with great boldness. Notice what he said, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our savior. The word of God, the bold preaching of it had been committed into his hands, the hands of the apostle, which he had then committed to Titus. So as pastors, if you're called in ministry, you're called or you teach a home Bible study all of, all of you dads should be teaching uh, your family. Can I get an amen to that? And when you're called by God to teach the word of God, it's under the authority of God. Amen. And we are to proclaim it with boldness. Don't water it down. Don't apologize for it. Don't be ashamed of it. We need to be faithful to it. Preach the word. The word given not by men, 
but by the commandment of the Savior. Again, you know, there's a thing called the Jesus Seminar, like 15 years ago. And what they did is they got together and all these religious leaders, if you will, would vote on whether or not Jesus really said something that was in the Bible. And if one person blackballed it, they took it out of their Bible. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense ever. Can I get an amen? That wasn't the Jesus seminar. That was the Satan seminar. Can I get an amen? But the reality is that we live in a time today where, oh, well, that doesn't really fit with my lifestyle. Let's take that out. They, they, they refer to Paul as a bigot because he stood against homosexuality and fornication. And, you know, he stood up for the truth. And they say, oh, that doesn't fit my lifestyle. It doesn't fit the way I want to live my life. Guess what? The way you want to live your life is sinful and wicked apart from the Lord. Can I get an amen? And that's why we need to be convicted. That's why we need to be taught the word of God. Because again, we need to grow in faith and grow in a relationship with the Lord so we can walk in the truth. The word reveals our savior and our savior is all we need. You don't need anything but Jesus. If you got Jesus, you got everything. Can I get an amen? Somebody won a billion dollars a couple days ago. You guys see that? I never buy a lottery ticket, so I'll never win. But some guy won a billion dollars in Michigan. But he's only going to get $786 million if he cashes it all out. So you got to feel sorry for him a little bit. No, but the point I'm making, do you know that you could give me $50 billion and it's not as good as knowing Jesus? Do you know that that money's all going to burn at some point, but we have the promise of eternal life? If you want a billion dollars, you'd probably be pretty happy. Guess what? We know Jesus is better. Amen. We got to live lives filled with joy. Amen. What does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Amen. Guys, we have the greatest, the greatest gift ever given by the greatest giver of gifts. Amen. Satan wants to alter the message or quiet it all together. That's why we will never stop having church. Amen. If they outlawed, we're having church. They've outlawed in China. They keep having church. We're going to have church period. Why? Because I'm far more concerned about people's spiritual eternity than any consequences that may come to us by having church. Amen. And you know what? Satan wants to quiet us. He wants to shut the churches down. He wants to keep us from preaching the word of God. They can outlaw it, but they can't shut us up. Amen? And we got to preach it with boldness. Most selfish and ungodly thing we can do as Christians is to hide the truth and the very hope that lies within us for a lost world needs to hear it. Then it says, who's the letter to? Now you know why we're not teaching the whole chapter. It says to Titus, a true son in our common faith. He talked about Titus. We talked about him in the introduction. A Greek, he was a Greek convert whose bond with Paul had nothing to do with a common heritage, but a common pastime, which is preaching Jesus. They had a common faith. When I pastored a church in Santa Cruz, we had eight pastors. And I didn't have a lot in common with most of them. If we weren't all saved and serving together, I had four of them that hated sports. I'm like, you guys need to get saved. But here's the reality. <laughs> I wonder as a vegan. I'm like, really, bro? <laughs> Rice, kill, and eat. Ask, read the Bible, bro. What's wrong with you? But the reality is that while we, you know, one guy was in band in high school. I'm a football player. I'm like, really? Okay. But the reality I'm making is, the point I'm making is that we had Jesus in common, so we had everything in common. Amen? amen. We are not bound. Our culture is not most important. Can I get an amen to that? The color of our skin is not most of important. Our financial status is not the most important. 
All, amen? Can I get an amen to all those? The political party we belong to is not the most important. Oh, that was really quiet. <laughs> Got in some people's kitchen right there. You know what's most important? That we got Jesus in common. When we got Jesus in common, we're family. This is a family reunion every time we meet. Amen? Why do I hug everybody? Because it's family. When your family comes to your house, what do you do? Can I get an amen? It's a family reunion. That's the hope that lies within us. That's the greatest thing is our common faith. Paul and Titus had Jesus in common as one who had discipled young Titus. He was fruit of Paul's ministry. And like Timothy, Paul saw Titus as his son in the faith. That's how I, hey, you know, my, call, my calling is to minister to you guys. I consider all of you people that I'm here to serve you. I look at Joshua and Doug as sons in the faith. I'm giving ministry away to these guys. I talk to them on the phone all the time. Eventually, they're going to probably go out and plant churches, which would be awesome. Can I get an amen to that? But how does that happen? You got to, who are you investing your life in? Who are you discipling and who's discipling you? We need to find those people that are called and then disciple them, encourage them to grow in the gifts that God has given them. Paul had more than one son. And so too, we should be pouring our lives. He referred to Timothy as his son of the faith. And others. And so we too should be pouring our lives into others. But Paul and Titus had a very special relationship. As well as son, Paul referred to Titus as a genuine brother. A partner and fellow worker. Walking in the same spirit. In the same steps. In the same manner of life. And all those bonds were linked to one thing. Their common bond in Christ. And guys, that's what we have in common. Can I get an amen? When you got Jesus in common... Blood is thicker than water and the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. I, was, I went into the bank the other day to do something and I started talking to one of the banker guys and found out he was a Christian. We talked for an hour and it was awesome. I love this guy. And we're, we're just, we just hit it off immediately. And then he was talking about, isn't it amazing how close we feel to each other so quickly? I said, yeah. I said, I got people I'm related to. I feel closer to you and the people I've been related to my whole life that don't know the Lord. Amen. Because we start talking and it's so obvious. Oh, we're going through First Peter at our church. We're in, we just finished Second Timothy. We're talking about the Lord. And you know, it was like against the rules, but we hugged anyway. Can I get him in? <laughs> and the reality is that when you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. And then he's, he greets his son by saying, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Grace and peace, again, all the non-pastoral epistles start that way. Grace is charis, which is a Gentile greeting. Peace is shalom, which is a Jewish greeting. And only through grace may we have peace. They're always in that order. The grace of God being given something we don't deserve, it's the only thing that will give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Can I get an amen to that? Peace with God, the peace of God, comes through the grace of God. Now, only in the pastoral epistles, does he add the word mercy? Because pastors need it. Can I get an amen? Mercy means God not giving us what we deserve. And he adds that to pastoral epistles because, again, if you don't know this, being a pastor is not easy. But there's nothing better in the world that I would, do, would love to do. It's just the best. I can't believe I get to do this. It's the greatest. I can't, thank you, Lord. Amen. But that being said, Sometimes you have, to, you have to do things that aren't always easy. 
but it's always worth it. Amen? The word peace there means quietness and rest. It can only enter into rest through his grace and mercy. So the source of all grace and mercy is from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's the source of grace, the source of mercy, the source of peace, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So point number one, Protection of sound doctrine by preaching God's word, by proclaiming the truth with boldness, the promise of eternal life. The word of God is made visible through preaching and the word of God reveals the person of Christ. Point number two, and this is where we're going to stop, by raising up godly pastors and leaders. So notice what it says, and we've gone through this several times in the we did it at both the ordinations of Doug and of Joshua, if you're here for either one of those. And then we went through it also in Timothy, First Timothy. But this is a little bit different. It says here, For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's just southeast of Greece. And after a successful evangelistic campaign on the island, Paul left Titus behind to build up the churches with mature and qualified pastors, men of godly calling and character. So note, Timothy was in Ephesus, again, a metropolitan city. Titus is in Greece. It literally, the word Crete means carnal. A pastor of Calvary Chapel, carnal. Calvary Chapel fleshly. City had a reputation of being filled with liars and lazy gluttons. And again, to Cretanize meant to be a liar. So Paul left church planning and development to Titus. So for years, I would go to Russia. I went to Russia every year, seven years in a row. And every year we would go, we would bring a team and we would leave a pastor and his wife behind. And they would usually have like a worship leader and his wife behind. So we'd go into a city. They would give us an opportunity to go into all the schools. We'd preach Jesus. We'd have concerts at night. And, and, and literally within two weeks, I know a lot of it was because it was Americans and it was just something to check out. They would go from 50 people to 1,500. And then we would leave a church behind. And the churches would grow much smaller than that. But the point was, you come into a city and you don't just preach the gospel and leave. You stay, you plant a church, and you make disciples. Well, that's what Titus was doing in Crete. Paul had come, he had shared the gospel. People had gotten saved. Now they need to be taught. Now they need to be discipled. And Titus was called to help plant all the churches and raise up pastors. Now, what would happen is we'd leave these pastors behind who are Americans, and their goal was within three or three to five years to have raised up a local, a Russian, to take their place. Someone who got saved, growing in the Lord, and after a certain amount of time, sometimes it would take 10 years, but they would stay as long as they needed to, and then they would give the ministry away to a local person and then go back to another city. And so this is kind of what Titus is doing. I love church planning, by the way. If you've known me for 15 minutes, you know I love it. When I hear someone's planning a church, I get very excited. I want to help them any way that I can. And so he tells them to set in order the things that are lacking. It's a medical term that means to fix a broken arm or broken limb. So what he's saying is he came in and the churches have been planted, but they've lost their way. They've gotten off track. And he's saying, look, you need to go in and break some arms. Get that arm back straight again. Set it back in the right place. They've lost their way. They're going into the wrong direction to establish order and leadership. Things that were lacking were godly leadership. And also we'll see next week, the removal of false teachers. The word order there says in 1 Corinthians 14, let things be done decently and in order. Order does not quench the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? 
And our churches that say, we just, oh, it's just, a, it's just like a zoo when you come to our church. Well, I hope not. Order doesn't quench the spirit. It's a mark of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. So he says, appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. I know this for many of you is repeat, worth repeating. In the Bible, elder, bishop, pastor, all the same guy. Okay? And you have denominations where elders are kind of the guys who oversee the finances and help with the vision for the church. And you got the pastors who do the service. And then the bishop's a guy either with a pointy hat in the Catholic church or a guy who, uh, who goes around and oversees churches. And again, they're all the same guy in scripture. Let me explain it to you. Elder describes who he is. He's a spiritually mature man. Pastors lay hands on no man quickly. And there are churches that will find somebody, somebody famous gets saved and they throw them in the pulpit after two weeks. That will never happen here. Can I get an amen to that? Not going to happen. You don't just throw, lay hands on no man quickly. If someone's called, it'll be made evident over time. So an elder is a spiritually mature man. So it describes who he is. Bishop describes what he does. He's an overseer. He oversees the people, cares for them. And a pastor describes what he does. He serves and he shepherds. So elder describes who he is, spiritually mature. Bishop describes what he does, oversees the people. Pastor describes how he does it. He serves them. So every city needed a pastor. A spiritually mature men called to serve, shepherd, and oversee the body. Now, let me say this. If the pastor's arrogant, as far as I'm concerned, he's disqualified. Can I get an amen to that? Pastors are not celebrities. They're servants. Amen. A lot of churches have it this way where the pastor, you know, Jesus is at the top, the pastor's right below him. And then they got to flip that thing upside down. The pastor, the word for pastor means under rower. Guys ever seen Ben-Hur, my favorite movie of all time? Those guys down the bottom of the boat rowing. They got anything to be arrogant about? Can I, <laughs> right? But too often parents, pastors become like celebrities and people aren't of them. And they got bodyguards. It's, it's nonsense. There's one celebrity in, in Christianity. What's his name? Amen. So he's letting them know point on the basis of godly calling and character. Again, not popularity with men. We don't vote for pastors. Amen. We don't have campaigns for pastors. We don't do that. You know why? Because we don't anoint them. God does. Amen. We don't. I've had people call me wanting me to ordain them. Can you ordain me? No, only God can ordain people. Can I get an amen to that? I don't ordain anybody. All we do is recognize what God already did. Let me say this too. You know, if someone's called, they can't do anything else. Amen. You know, when someone's called, they do it well. Amen. I don't have to call Pastor Tim and remind him we've got worship on Sunday. I've never had to do that one time. I never have to worry about them. I show up, they're here. They're ready at the worship team. Because when you're called to do something, it's a get to, not a have to. Can I get an amen? And woe unto me if I don't do it. And so, the people that are called will do it for 10 years, whether you ever recognize them or not, because they're not doing it for you. They're doing it for the Lord. And the only reason we ordain people, the only reason we, we tell you who the pastors are, so you know who you can come to, because we're called to serve you. Amen? We're called to serve you. You're not called to serve. We're called to serve you. And that's what he says. You need to appoint these men in every city on Crete. Notice no mention of education or theological degrees. Now, look. We had a Bible college at Calvary Santa Cruz and a school ministry. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with getting a degree in theology. Nothing wrong with that. But just because you have a degree doesn't mean you're called. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. 
And too often what happens is, oh, I told you guys this story. I don't have time to do it. But when I was going to, when I ended up going up north, there was a city, a church of people in Houston that found out I was on the pastors want a list. They were on the pastors want a list. I contacted them. They wanted me, they, they got some of my tapes. They listened to them and they said, well, you're the guy. We've been praying for you. We want you to come pastor our church. And they literally like, we have a place for you to live. We got this. We, you know, we've listened to 10 of your messages. We've been playing them on Sunday mornings and the whole church has been listening. You're the guy. Then they, they send me an application, fill it out. Oh, you didn't tell us where you went to Bible, where you went to seminary. I didn't go. Never mind. It's amazing how God changed his mind when they found out I didn't go to seminary. Point I'm making is too often we elevate education. Look, nothing wrong with education, but God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Can I get an amen? And so just because my dad said when he was in seminary, he goes, 90% of the guys never wanted to teach. They were scared to death. That dude's not called. Can I get an amen? So they're called by God. He said, these are the guys who've been called by God. Again, these are not qualities that we strive for in hopes of being called, but rather a reflection of someone who is. Let's go through these quickly because we've done this several times. For a bishop must be blameless. Does that mean sinless? What's the answer? No, because there'd be no pastors. Amen. It doesn't mean blameless. The word literally means nothing to take hold upon without accusation. No one can rightfully stand up and accuse that person. You know, if we're ordaining somebody to go, that guy's an adulterer. That guy's... That guy's angry. That guy loves money. That guy's a drunkard, whatever. Going down that list, blameless means without accusation, even from the outside. If you, if you took him through his neighborhood and said, well, yeah, he just became a pastor of our church, the neighbor should say, that sounds about right. If you're talking to his coworkers, that sounds about right. Most importantly, you talk to his wife. Amen. You know what? He is that man. So blameless. Not only must he be blameless, not quick tempered. Yet we don't want pastors who are flying off the handle. Can I get an amen to that? They're not flying off the handle. They're, you know, they're, they're kind. They're not quick tempered. They're slow to wrath. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. It says you don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. Amen. So it's not somebody who quickly gets tempered, not given to wine. Oh, this gets everybody excited. Every time I get to this verse. Is alcohol a problem for a lot of people? What's the answer? What's the answer? Big time. Um, I've never crashed my car around a pole or killed anybody because I drink too much Pepsi or Coke or, you know, coffee. Can I get an amen? But see, here's the problem. Pastors would be sober-minded. Amen? The Bible says that, you know, wine is a mocker, right? And, And again, if you have a glass of wine with dinner, that's between you and the Lord. The Bible commands that we not be drunk. It doesn't say you can't have a glass of wine or some alcohol. But what I would say is this. If you know you have a problem with it, you should stop right now in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen to that? If you know that you drink, if you're buzzed, you're drunk. You know, I went out and got drunk and made a bunch of great decisions. Said nobody ever. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> it does, it's not helpful. It's hurtful. By the way, as pastors, one of the reasons that pastors are not to drink alcohol, period, I believe, one, is that we are, not, we are to be sober-minded, but also we're an example. If somebody struggled with alcohol and walked to a Mexican restaurant and saw me and Doug and, and uh, Joshua and Tim drinking margaritas, might that stumble somebody? What do you think? Well, pastors can do it. I can do it. I'm going to err on the side of holiness. Can I get an amen to that? So it's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I am dogmatic with our pastors. By the way, you see one of our pastors drinking a margarita, call me, they're fired. Can I get a amen? <laughs> it's just a fact. 
not violent. That word there is not a striker. We don't need pastors who are getting in fights. Can I get an amen to that? We don't want pastors hitting people. We, we don't need that. Can I get an amen? Not a striker, not, a, you know, not someone who's violent, not greedy for money. Well, that disqualifies most of Christian television. Can I get an amen? Send me a seed offering. Send your seed. Plant your $1,000 seed in my garden. It's always planted in their garden. Have you ever noticed that? Pastors should not be greedy for money. Look, here's what I believe. When I was an assistant pastor and helped set pastor salaries, by the way, you know all of our pastors here work, okay? But when you have a full-time pastor, I would always, my heart was always, I want him to be able to live comfortably, but he, but he shouldn't live excessively. Does that make sense? He should be able to feed his family, go on a vacation every once in a while. He shouldn't have to take a second job so his kids can have shoes. Can I get an amen to that? So he should live comfortably, but not live excessively. Amen? Should live at or below, a little below what the, everybody in the church is at. And I just believe that's the heart of God. Not greedy for money. Hospitable. Hospitable mean, literally means someone who, who is, loves people. Pastors need to love people. Shepherds need to love sheep. Can I get an amen to that? Pastors need to love people. Hospital means they open up their home. They recognize everything they have belongs to the Lord. A lover of what is good. Pastors should be somebody who loves what is holy and righteous and godly and true. Not somebody who gets caught up in the things of the world. Somebody who's not entertained by the things of the world. Somebody who meditates on things above and not on things of the earth. Notice it says there, Again, uh, must be hospitable, lover of what is good, sober-minded. Sober-minded there also means not a cut-up, not a clown. Humor's okay when it's natural in a message, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be out of control where the guy is more of a comedian than he Because guys, when you're teaching the Bible, is that serious? What's the answer? Nothing more serious. People's eternal lives are in the balance. People being disciples in the balance. So when we teach the word of God, we shouldn't be clowns. Amen? I don't mind if the surgeon tells me a joke when he's getting ready to cut me open. But if he comes in in a clown suit, I need another guy. Can I get an amen? <laughs> kind of serious going on over here, right? And there needs to be a seriousness to the calling. The word just holy and self-control. Holy means again, set apart in his walk with the Lord. Someone who lives a just life, a life that is justified, self-controlled. He's not out of control. He's a man who lives a life in control. Holding fast the faithful word. Holds fast to the word of God. He's somebody who loves and esteems God's word. If you go to a church and you don't walk out of there knowing the pastor loves the Bible and find another church. Amen. The word of God is truth. I want you to leave here forgetting my name and remembering God's word. Can I get an amen to that? That should be the heart of every pastor. It says, as he has been taught, then be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. He's not self-willed. He's not quick-tempered. He's not greedy. Again, he's not given to wine. He's not violent. He's not greedy for money. He's, a hus he's hospitable, a lover of what is good. He's sober-minded. He's just. He's holy. He's self-controlled. He holds fast to the word of God as he has been taught. See, the only way that you can be somebody who ministers to other people and teaches the word to other people is someone needs to teach the word to you. Now, that can be taught by the Holy Spirit as you read it. Can I get an amen to that? 
But also, even as you read it, you need others who are spiritually mature, more spiritually mature than you to teach you. Why is that? Because you can read the word and become Joseph Smith in the Mormon church if you're not being taught the truth. Can I get an amen? Take a guy, hand him a Bible and send him off in the jungle. That's the beginning of a cult. You know, we all need, I I was an assistant pastor for 15 years. And I had three people that poured into my life. My dad, Pastor John, and Pastor Don. And all of them discipled me, discipled me, and I still got a long way to go. But the point I'm making is, there needs to be preparation, amen? Need to be built up. Let's finish up. And again, it says, holding fast the word as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. You know, one of the reasons it's important that your pa- the pastors know the word of God and know it well One of the reasons that is so important is because there's going to be those who come in who are preaching a false gospel. And they need to not only be identified and recognize the counterfeit, but be able to stand up and defend the truth. Amen? And if that pastor can't defend the truth to someone who's preaching a counterfeit, he's not qualified to be the pastor. How does that happen? You know, I say this all the time as we close here. God made me a pastor because he knew I needed to be in the Bible 40 to 50 hours a week. I'm going to, you're going to be in the, because when you, you know, because my kids used to complain about their homework. I said, how'd you like to stand up? How'd you like to have an oral report twice a week, 50 page oral report twice a week. That's going to be graded by God. How about that? So don't talk to me about your homework. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you miss one, you get a, you get a minus mark on there. I miss it. I'm standing for God accountable. Can I get an amen to that? How does that happen though? We must be taught. We must spend time. So we don't want pastors who are arrogant, self-willed, drunkards, pastors who live lives that are contrary to the word of God. He says, Titus, I want you to find men like this. I want you to disciple them. I want you to place them over every single church so that when the false teachers come in, they can refute it. And so the people who come who don't know the Lord can hear the gospel. And the people that do know the Lord can grow in their relationship with the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? So getting the church in order by preaching God's word, And by raising up godly pastors and leaders, men who are called and gifted by God, men of godly character. And we've talked about this. It doesn't even have it here. It is in depth. But there's 15 qualifications for a pastor. 14 speak of character. One speaks of gifting. And I think the reason we have churches that are such a mess, you find gifted guys with no character and they're quick to put, quick to put them in the pulpit. I'd rather have a guy with character that needs to develop his teaching gift than a guy that's a great teacher who has no character. Can I get an amen to that? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for everyone who's here today on a cold day. But Lord, it's refreshing because we're spending time with you. Lord, it's worth it to sit at your feet, to worship you, to study your word. We ask, Lord, that what we have learned today, we would take it to heart. That each and every one of us, we know we're all called, not just the pastors who are called. We're all called. We all have gifts. And Lord, I pray you'd stir up the gifts you've given us, that we minister one to another. Lord, we pray that your word would not return void. We know it won't. We're thankful for the promises you've given us, that we have the promise of eternal life. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...